Welcome to the River City Church Podcast. Our prayer is that this message would inspire and encourage you, build your faith, and point you to the life-changing love of Jesus. May you enjoy the goodness of God as you follow him today. Good morning, River City. We are so glad to see you this morning. If you are new today, if this is your first week here, or maybe your second or third, but you are still new, I just want to welcome you. We are so thrilled that you are here with us and to give us a few hours of your Sunday morning. We are honored and you are our guest. And so I hope that you felt um, welcomed this morning. Well, every week we start off, every Sunday we start off our time of teaching with a declaration. And we say the same thing every week. And here's why we do it. Because we need this reminder that there is no one in this room that doesn't desperately need a savior. We are all broken. But there's also every single person in this room is deeply loved by God. Not because of what you and I have done, but because of who he is. And so together, repeat after me or with me, we are badly broken, we are deeply loved, amen. I need that reminder every week, don't you? It's a good reminder. Well, my name is Jennifer Adams. Uh, My husband, Chris, and I have been here at River City for about two and a half years. Um, If you haven't met me, you have probably met my husband because Chris is usually out in the foyer greeting. We are on the greeting team. And just a shout out, that probably is our favorite place to serve in the church because we just get to stand out there and smile and greet everybody. So if you are looking for a place to serve, we would love some more people on that team. Come talk to me or grab my husband in the foyer and we will plug you in. But we have three boys. Our oldest is just graduated from high school, hallelujah. Um, But that's only one down. Um, Our second one uh, is going into eighth grade and our youngest is going into third grade. So we've got lots of ages and stages represented. My house is never quiet and never dull. Um, But my youngest son, Clint, he is eight. And Clint um, has a lot of questions all the time, every day, about everything. Anybody else have a kid like that or raised a kid like that? It's exhausting. And part of it is his stage, but you know, that's how they learn. I have to explain to his brothers, this is how he learns. You gotta let him ask questions. You know, if he doesn't know what he doesn't know. So I've been noticing lately um, more questions revolving around money. So, hey, mom, um, do we have enough money for fill in the blank? Whatever it is he thinks he needs, AKA wants, that week. But a couple weeks ago, he comes up to me and real serious, and he says, mom, so exactly how much money do you have? So, of course, I took that as a teaching opportunity because I'm always looking for teaching opportunities, much to my children's delight. And I said, listen, Clint, there's two questions that you never ask an adult. One is how old they are, and the second one is how much money they have. To which he promptly responded, but why? So I attempted to explain to him, and based on the look on his face, I don't think he was understanding or comprehending, But those questions told me that he was wrestling with something. That there was a concern for him that we didn't have enough. 
And we live in a world that is obsessed with money. It is presented as the be-all and end-all for happiness, satisfaction, success, whatever, you name it, money is presented as the answer. And yet, the chase never ends because we never can seem to get enough, right? It's always, there's, this enough idea is just so elusive. It's just right beyond our grasp. And if we aren't careful, this constant pursuit of just a little bit more, it gets to the point where it's all we can think about. Now, I know that some of you, you've already heard me for the last couple sentences and you're like, oh, I am tuning this one out because she's talking about money. And there's some of you in the room who you're getting a little nervous and anxious because I'm talking about money in church. And I just wanna encourage you, hang in there with me because I really feel that what God has given me to share with you today, that it can really bring you some freedom in this area of money. And I don't know about you, but I could use freedom in this area when it comes to the topic of money. So money can be an idol or it can be an opportunity. The choice is ours. It just depends on how we view it. We are in the middle of a series on idolatry, so if, you, if this is your first week here, you have jumped right into the middle of a series. Actually, we're kind of at the tail end of the series at this point. Next week, uh, you don't wanna miss next week, Johnny will wrap up the whole series, so it's gonna be good. But we've been talking about idols, the things in our life that we put in the place of God. And there is a working definition of an idol that we've been using every week. We've repeated this. It comes from Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods. And so we're gonna look at it again today. And it says this, an idol is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly feel worth living. Now that's a strong definition. And for some of you, you can hear, read that and hear that and you immediately know what that is for you. But there's some of you in the room, and I know this because I've heard from some of you, there's some of you that have been hearing this definition over the last number of weeks and you thought, wow, yeah, I. I don't know that I can put my finger on anything in my life that I really feel that strongly about. Like, if I lost it, I would wanna die. Like, I don't, I'm not sure what that would be. So I wanna expand on that definition a little bit. In Tim Keller's book, it's actually in the exact same paragraph that we found this working definition that we've been using. A couple sentences later, he says this. An idol is whatever you look at and you say in your heart of hearts, if I can just have that, then I'll feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know I have value and then I'll feel significant and secure. An idol is anything in our life that we look at to fill a need that only God can fill. Now, we've covered several idols in this series. We've talked about success. We've talked about identity. Last week, RJ talked about busyness and distractions, and I don't know who that one didn't hit, and if you missed it, I would encourage you to go back and listen to them. And then today, we are doing money, because I guess if we haven't stepped on your toes yet, they left it up to me um, with the money topic. (laughs) But I am one of the newer members of the teaching team. And so some of you are probably assuming that I had to, I just got the short straw 
Jennifer got money. And I'm gonna be transparent with you. I actually chose this topic. Well, let me rephrase that. When the email came out with the, with the choices to the teaching team, I saw the list and I immediately knew the Holy Spirit was saying, money, that one's yours. And I said, oh no, 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 I'm not. So this is what I did. I waited to see how everybody else responded. Somebody else is gonna take money. And you guessed it, nobody else volunteered to do money. So I got the email, hey Jennifer, we really need to know which one you're gonna do. Holy Spirit, okay, yeah, money. Jason was like, yes, you got it, and quick response. And he, but here's why I knew the Holy Spirit wanted me to do money. Because money is a topic that's been deeply personal to me. Money has been a struggle for a big part of my Christian walk. And when I say struggle, I don't mean the struggle for not having enough of it, although there have definitely been seasons of my life, there's parts of my story where that is the story, where there hasn't been enough. But that's not the kind of struggle I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is there has been a wrestling between me and God <laughs> with keeping money in its right place. Because for so many years, my sense of security was directly tied to the balance in my bank account, in our bank account once I got married. And, and being married to somebody who had his own business, guess what our bank account does? Woo, up and down, up and down. And I would find my sense of security just constantly up and down based on my bank account. And this has been an all-out battle for a long time between me and God, trying to get the right perspective on money. But through this, through the seasons, through the years of walking with him, he, God has taught me some really life-changing principles about money. And I'm excited to share a little bit with you today because listen, I really believe there can be freedom in this area when it comes to money. Now, I want to back up a little bit. When we talk about idols, the ones we've been talking about, they're really easy to see. They're real visible idols, kind of your surface idols, money, identity, success. But if you dig a little deeper, there are deeper longings and struggles that really motivate us to chase after these surface idols. I'm going to call them the deep idols. And we're going to put them up on the screen one by one, and they look like this. The first one is a desire for power or influence. Um, the next one is seeking approval, looking for appreciation. The third one is chasing comfort. And the last one is a need for control or security. Now, leave those on the screen for just a minute because I want to talk about them as you look at those. Tim Keller says this, that we can find our idols when we look at our nightmares. What is it that you fear losing the most? And each of these deep idols on the screen, they generate a different set of fears for us, a different set of hopes, and they cause us to approach our surface idols very differently. Now, if, you, if I just lost you just there, let me give you an example. So when I look at this list of deep idols, I immediately know which one is most, most often mine is control, the need for security. And because that is usually my deeper need, my deeper idol motivating me, when it comes to money, guess what I do? I hold my money really tight. My kids would tell you I'm stingy with it. 
because my security is tied to my bank account, like we talked about, and so I'm holding my money tight. Now, if my deeper idol, my deeper motivation was approval, I would approach money very differently. I wouldn't have a problem necessarily spending money if that meant that I could earn approval from it. I could impress people, look more attractive, get into the right circles. You can see two very different deep idols, but they cause us to approach those surface idols very differently. And the problem is, no matter which deep idol is driving you, if you are looking to money to fill one of these things, it will quickly, money will quickly become your master. And money makes a poor master. I'm going to read you a verse out of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is in the middle of your Bible. It's right after Psalms and Proverbs. And Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon. King Solomon was the son of King David. Um, the Bible tells us he was the wealthiest man to ever live. In fact, they say that in today's economy, King Solomon would be worth one to two trillion dollars. Trillion with a T. That is a lot of money. And I want you to hear what Solomon says. This is in Ecclesiastes 5.10. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. Even with all of his money, King Solomon had learned something to be true, that money never satisfies. We're going to spend a little bit of time this morning in a passage in the New Testament. We're going to look at a story in Luke. Luke is at the beginning of the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke. And we're going to look at a story of uh, Jesus and a man named Zacchaeus. So it's in Luke 19, if you've got your Bibles, or it will be on the screen. Luke 19, verses 1 to 10. It says this, he entered Jericho, and he is Jesus. Okay, so Jesus enters Jericho. He's passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but he was not able because of the crowd since he was a short man. So running ahead, he climbed up a sycamore tree to see Jesus since he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down because today it is necessary for me to stay at your house. So he quickly came down, he welcomed him joyfully, and all who saw it began to complain. He's gone to stay with a sinful man but Zacchaeus stood there, and he said to the Lord, Look, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, Lord. And if I have extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. Today, salvation has come to this house, Jesus told him, because he, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Now, this passage in Luke is the only passage we have about Zacchaeus. We never hear about him again. But in these 10 verses, we can get some, we learn a little bit about Zacchaeus. We learn that he's a tax collector. He's a chief tax collector, which means that he most likely oversaw all of the other tax collectors in that region. Um, it also says that he was wealthy. So as a tax collector, he was in Jericho. Jericho was a key city on some major trading routes, okay? So there was a lot of business, a lot of commerce that happened in this area. And so he had a lot of opportunity to make money, and he was wealthy. 
Zacchaeus is a, so here you have a tax collector. He is a Jewish man, a tax collector, which means he's collecting taxes from his own people for, for the Romans who were the oppressors of the Jews. And for the Jewish people, they viewed tax collectors as traitors. And not only were they because they were siding with the enemy, and, and the, the burden that the Romans put on the Jews was very, very heavy, this tax burden. And so they viewed tax collectors as traitors, but tax collectors also, not only were they siding with the Romans, but they were also notorious for collecting more than they needed to. Rome would tell them how much tax to collect, and they would go out, and they would approach you and say, you got to give me this tax plus this amount. They would tack on an extra to put in their pockets. So they were despised, and they were hated. And it makes me wonder, why would a man like Zacchaeus, why would he choose that for his profession? Why would he want to be a tax collector when he knew his people were going to hate him and despise him? I think it's safe to say that his deeper idol was not approval because he was not getting that. Maybe it was power. Maybe it was control. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But whatever was motivating him, he was still searching. And that's what we see in this story. He's still searching because he had learned some of the most basic lessons of life, that you can be rich and not happy. You can be wealthy and lonely. You can be successful and not satisfied. There's some quotes I ran across from wealthy men um, early in America's history, and I want you to listen to some of these. One was from W.H. Vanderbilt, and he says this, the care of 200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. John D. Rockefeller says, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. And then Henry Ford, the man who founded Ford Motor Company, listen to what he says. He says, I was happiest when doing a mechanic's job. Money will never fill the void. It can bring temporary pleasures, but in the end, it just doesn't satisfy, no matter how much we have. We heard King Solomon. He had a couple trillion dollars, and yet he recognized money doesn't satisfy. And so we see this with Zacchaeus, that he is still seeking something. He has power, he has position, he has wealth, but he's still seeking something. He's heard about this Jesus, right? This rabbi who's doing miracles, he's gathering crowds, he's got some really interesting teachings, and he is searching and he's seeking, maybe this is the one to fill that void. And we know he's desperate because he climbed a tree a respectable man would not have climbed a tree. He would not have been seen in a, tr a tree. That was not something a man of his position would do, and yet he was desperate. And it was up in that tree that he had an encounter with Jesus that changed everything for him. And listen, Jesus' interaction with him, frankly, it was pretty scandalous. And here's why I say that. Because a rabbi, and a rabbi is simply a teacher. Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. Rabbis did not associate with tax collectors. Tax collectors were the lowest of the low. The rabbis lumped them in with the murderers and the robbers and the prostitutes. They were not going to associate with a tax collector. In fact, the rabbis during this time, they would not allow a tax collector to be a witness in court because their testimony was not to be trusted. They were considered societal outcasts. Um, and in fact, 
a lot of rabbis would not even allow a tax collector to come in the synagogue. And here you have Jesus. He's walking along, Zacchaeus is in the tree, and he stops, not only looks at Zacchaeus, but actually acknowledges him, calls him by name, and says, hey, I need you to come down because I'm going to your house. This was scandalous. And you can see the people, they were starting to grumble and complain, wait, this is a sinner. Why is Jesus going with him? And it was an extravagant grace that Jesus was pouring out on Zacchaeus that day. And I want you to look and see how Zacchaeus responds. Back in verse 8, it says, Zacchaeus stood there, and he says to the Lord, I'll give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've extorted anything from anyone, I'll pay back four times as much. He, he was, had received an extravagant grace, and the result was extravagant generosity on Zacchaeus's part. Zacchaeus learned that day that he needed to have a shift in how he had viewed money. And I wanna look with you at three principles that I really think if you can get a hold of these, it will change the way you view money and it will help you to experience freedom in this area. And this is the first one. God owns everything. I am simply his money manager. There's lots of verses in the Bible that talk about how, you know, we know God is the creator. He made it all. And he talks about how he owns it all. There's Job 41.11. It says, everything under heaven belongs to me. Um, Haggai 2.8 says, the silver and the gold, they belong to me. In Deuteronomy 8.18, the Lord says, the Lord your God gives you the power to gain wealth. He owns it all. And he has entrusted his money, his possessions to us, and we are the money managers or the stewards. Well, what does that mean? Well, if you are a steward of something, that means that you need to find out what the owner wants done with his assets so that you can then carry out those wishes. If you've ever met with a financial planner at any point, one of the first questions they're gonna ask you is this. What are your goals? for the next 10 years, 20 years, 30, depending on how young you are, you'll see, that'll go out, right? And they wanna know what your goals are because it's your money, and they wanna know how to advise you and how to manage your money so that your goals are realized. It doesn't matter what they wanna do with your money, it's not their money. So they wanna know what your goals are. When we get this idea that, listen, it all belongs to God, it's all of His, we're simply managing it, here's the rub. That means we've gotta to talk to him about our money decisions. That means when we're making a big money decision, we've gotta say, okay, God, I need some guidance. What do you want me to do here? How do you want me to spend this? How, where do you want me to invest? What does this look like? That means there's gotta be some conversations. It means we've gotta do some listening. We've gotta be asking the owner what he wants done with his finances. And there's another part to this, though, too. Not only are we talking to God because we recognize he owns it and we need some direction, but there's also really, honestly, a sense of relief when we really get this idea that he really owns it all anyway. There's a story about um, John Wesley. John Wesley was an English evangelist in the 1700s. And there's a story where he was out preaching, and this man comes riding up on a horse in a panic, yelling his name, and John stops and turns around, he's like, what's going on? He's like, John, 
John, your house is burning down. And the story goes that John Wesley just paused and said, well, it's not my house, it's God's house. And I guess that's one less thing I have to be responsible for. And the first time I heard that story, I thought, yeah, if I could get that mindset, if I could get that mindset that it, it all belongs to him, he's responsible, he's gonna take care, I'm just his money manager, it takes a weight off. Another principle is that my heart always goes where I put God's money. My heart follows the money. This we see in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, verse 19 to 21 says this. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves don't break in and steal, and for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Listen, we have two options. We can store up our treasures here, or we can store them up in heaven. Two choices. And whichever one we choose is gonna determine where our heart is, because our heart follows the money. I'm gonna give you an illustration over here with this rope. And I think he is all tangled up after first service. But, you know, we often live with this illusion that the earth is our home. We act like it is, like this is it. And yet the Bible says something very different. Hebrews eleven thirteen says this, we are foreigners and temporary residents. Philippians 3.20 says, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await the day that we get to see our Savior there. And so I want you to picture this rope as the timeline of your existence, okay? And this tape that I have on the end right here, this is your time here on earth, okay? It's got a beginning, it's got an end, and it's pretty brief in the grand scheme of things. Now the rest of this rope, the rest of this rope represents your eternity that will be spent somewhere. Now this particular rope that I got off Amazon, thank you Amazon, is only 50 feet long, so it ends right there in a pile. But imagine that it goes on forever with no end in sight. The money that God has entrusted us with, we have a choice. We can either store it up right here with chasing after those deeper idols, power, approval, comfort, control. We can build up things. We can fill up our storage units. But here's the thing. At the end, it's gonna end right here. And whatever we store up, it's not gonna go with us into the future. Because whatever we store up here on the earth, it will be lost guaranteed. You're either going to lose it while you're alive, hello stock market, or you're going to lose it when you die. But either way, you get past this last piece of the tape and it's not going anywhere. It, you've lost it. But whatever we send on ahead, whatever we invest into God's kingdom, it will last forever. It can't be destroyed. It will never end. Nothing can steal it. And when we really understand this, um, this concept, 
it helps us to just live with open hands because, listen, God has called us to live for the line and not the dot. And just imagine that little piece of tape was actually a dot. I couldn't figure out a way to make it a dot, but God says live for the line and not the dot. Don't be so consumed with what's happening in that short little space, but live with eternity in mind. And when we get that concept, it results in a life of generosity. And we become people with open hands instead of people with really tight, clenched hands. There's a quote from A.W. Tozer. He was an American pastor in the 1900s, and he says this, whatever is given to Christ is immediately touched with immortality. Whatever we give to God, it lives on forever in his eternal kingdom. And there are some benefits to living like this. There are some benefits to living with open hands, to really understanding that it all belongs to God anyway. Here's the first one. When we give, and and I I actually just said it, when we give, it reminds us that it all belongs to God. That it's not about me. It's about him. In fact, it really is kind of a way of dethroning us and exalting him. When my husband and I first got married, we've been married for um, almost 22 years. When we first got married, we made a commitment early in our marriage that we were gonna give regularly. We were gonna give consistently. That it was important that we tithe a percentage of our income every month. And here's, there's several reasons for it, but one of them is this one. Because we knew that we needed a regular reminder that it was all about God. That it all belonged to God. So that every time I write that check, every time I go onto the bank and I make that transfer, it reminds me that this is not mine. That it all came from God, it all, it, it's all his. Because listen, I have a way of just regularly putting myself on the throne over and over and over again. And every time I give, it takes me off and reminds me who sits on the throne, that it's all about him. Here's another um, benefit of giving, is it puts our faith into action. It really puts flesh to it. Because listen, I can say all day long that I trust God. I trust God, I trust God, and it's easier to trust God when things are going well, right? But do I trust God with my finances when it's hard? When I'm not sure how I'm gonna make ends meet? Do I still trust him? And when he says give, and I don't know how I can do that, Do I trust that he's my provider? Because every time we give, it's like this tangible thing of saying, you know what, God, I know. I know that you are my provider. I know that it might not make sense to me, but I trust you, and I'm putting it into action by giving. Giving into your kingdom, storing up my treasures in heaven, not here on earth. And also, giving brings freedom. Listen, materialism, money, stuff, I don't know about you, but it can become this vicious vortex, and it just sucks us in. I'm surely I'm not the only one. I I can just feel it. I can feel it sucking me in. But every time I can step back and give, to God, to his kingdom, to his church, to what he's doing around me, every time I do that, it like pulls me out of that orbit and it brings freedom. 
If materialism is a struggle for you, I want to encourage you that giving is the antidote to materialism. It pulls you out of that vicious vortex of stuff. And finally, this might, well, I was going to say this might be my favorite, but actually I like all of it. But this one, giving is an opportunity to partner with God. I cannot even begin to express to you the joy that comes from giving to God's kingdom and watching him do something way above and beyond my wildest dreams because I'm obedient to just give and to live with open hands. I wanna share a story with you. There's a couple, a missionary couple that my husband and I have known for a long time and they are missionaries in Australia and we have been supporting them for a number of years now. We support them monthly and we don't, it's not a lot, listen, it's not, most months it's not enough for me to even fill it, but we believe in what they're doing, we believe that God has called them and we wanna be a part of it. So we give every month to them. Well, a couple months ago I got their newsletter and they shared a need they had. Um, they've had this car since they first got to Australia, and it was old then, and now it's really old. Like, they have put as many Band-Aids as they can possibly put on this car, and it, they knew it was nearing its end. And so they put a request out to their support team, their family, their friends, those that love them and support them, and said, hey, we need you guys to pray with us because we need God to provide a car. And listen, when you're a missionary and you are living off of the support of other people, it's really hard to save up for stuff like that. And you are really walking out this, God, I trust you to provide for me and provide for my needs. So we got that. We were praying about it. And my husband and I felt like we needed to give extra that month for the car fund. Now, listen, I know we're not the only ones, but this year has been hard. My husband's business has been slow. So that means income has been going down and expenses have only been going up. Feeding three boys is just brutal. Groceries are awful right now everything. And my background as an accountant, I know numbers. And so um, I'm like, there's not enough, like, we can't give extra. Like, the, it's not even adding up right now as it is. How do we give extra? But I can tell you, I have learned something in my years of walking with God. When God asks me to do something, when he asks me to give, whether it be finances, your giving might be giving of your time, giving of your gifts, your talent, whatever. When God asks me to give and it feels uncomfortable, when it feels like it's outside what I can imagine, like I'm not even sure how I can do that, I have learned that I better obey. Because when I obey, when God's asking me to do the hard things, that's when I have been able to experience him do some amazing things. And so we gave, we gave extra that month, and a few weeks later I get an email from her. And she shares how God had provided miraculously for them with this car. And I can't even go into all the details with you this morning, but it was a true miracle. And I want to read you just a few phrases that she said. She said this, she said, God provided the, and she had an all caps, perfect beyond our wildest dreams, family car, to last us for years. And then she went on to share that her husband had actually been looking at this exact car, this exact make and model, since they had been in Australia, because he knew that it would be the perfect car for their family needs, for their ministry needs. But she said this, she said he had written it off, and it literally was his dream in another life vehicle. And God ended up providing that vehicle for them at way below market value. They paid a fraction 
of what it was worth. And then she said, she said, we felt God's hand completely over this and are really encouraged and our faith built up through the generosity we felt on all sides. I read that email and I got emotional because I was like, wow, look at what God did for them. Not only was their faith built up, but their two young children that are out in the mission field with them, they're watching their parents walk out in faith and God provide for them. But then I thought, and it built up my faith. It reminded me that, yeah, you know what? That is the God I serve. My God loves to do the impossible. He loves to go way above and beyond my wildest dreams. That's the kind of God I serve. And then, there were a lot of emotions happening as I was reading this. And then it was like the joy that we, our family, got to be a part of the miracle. And again, we did not give a lot. It was a lot, it felt like a lot for us, but it really wasn't a lot. But we got to be a part of the miracle. We got to be partner with God in doing something miraculous for them because we had open hands, because we were willing to be generous and trust that if we would do what God asked us to do, God would in turn meet our needs just as miraculously as he can meet their needs. Listen, when we are obedient and we hold our money loosely, when we recognize that it all belongs to God, and when we're willing to be generous, when he asks us to be generous, it has ripple effects for generations. And it goes into eternity. Those are the treasures that get stored up in heaven when we hold it like this. When we're not holding it tight, when we're holding it with open hands. And I don't know where you are this morning when it comes to the topic of money. I don't know what part of this maybe resonated with you, but I wanna encourage you that today can be the day where just like the story of Zacchaeus that we read about, just like Zacchaeus, today can be the day that we declare, you know what? Going forward, I'm gonna have a different view of money. I'm gonna be different from today on. That's what Zacchaeus said. Zacchaeus said, I'm not doing it the way I used to do it. I have experienced the extravagant grace of Jesus in my life, and as a result, I am gonna live with extravagant generosity because I understand now where it all comes from. And so I want you to do something very tangible with me. If you are on the left side of a row, there is a little basket under your far seat and it has some pieces of paper in it. I would love for you to take a paper and pass that basket down. Everybody get a paper if you can. And what I want you to do is I want you to write down today, what is your declaration to God today when it comes to this topic of money? Maybe it was one of those deeper idols that we talked about that you could relate to power, approval, comfort, control, and you know, you recognize you need to give that up. Maybe for you, um, you need a mindset shift. Maybe you need to shift from you being the owner to you being the money manager, the steward. Maybe you've been challenged this morning that you need to live with your hands more open, that you need to be willing to give, give more consistently, give more. I don't know what the Holy Spirit is um, Speaking to you, you know that. Maybe you feel like you need to have a focus shift from the dot to the line. You need to shift your focus on what you're storing here to what you're storing in heaven and in eternity. Whatever it is, write it down. And when you leave today, I'm gonna close here in a few minutes, there is a display in that back corner. It says no other. 
because we've been talking about how there are no other gods. There are some baskets back there, and as you leave today, I want to encourage you to lay it down and declare, make a declaration that today, going forward, you're going to look at money differently and that you want to experience the freedom that God has for you. Because listen, God wants us to be people with open hands, open with our finances, open with our time, open with our gifts, ready and willing to respond when he puts an opportunity in front of us. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be so distracted and wrapped up with these counterfeit gods that we've been talking about, these idols, that I'm not even aware of what God's doing and available to respond to him. And ultimately, every time we live like this, when we live like this and we are givers and we're generous, giving is an act of worship. Every time we give, it's a declaration that we believe that God is who he says he is. We believe that the money in our wallet's not ours, it's his. We believe that he's our provider, that he will guide us, he will lead us, he will take care of us. It's a declaration that we are going to partner with him to see his kingdom advanced. Listen, giving is a declaration that I have enough because he is enough. So money, it can be an idol or it can be an opportunity. The choice is yours. Where will you store up your treasure? Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are enough, that you have what we need. And Lord, I pray that we would learn to walk out our faith and our trust in you. Lord, I pray that you would show up in lives here today. I know there's people in this room who, it's a struggle right now. It is a struggle to just pay the bills, but Father, you see them. Lord, I pray that everybody in this room would know that you see them. You have not left them. You are with them. And Lord, I pray that as we talk to you, and we communicate with you about our money, Lord, that you would give us the vision that you have. Lord, that we would shift our perspective to the eternal and storing up our treasures in heaven. Lord, I pray that we would experience the freedom, the freedom that comes from just holding it loosely, knowing that we can trust you. We can trust you. And we ask all these things in your name, in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. River City Church is all about experiencing and expressing God's love in our lives and community. And we hope that you've been able to experience that today. As grateful as I am that you've spent this time listening in this morning, this podcast is no substitute for full participation in a local church. I love it when River City people listen to other pastors, but it is those who show up week after week, faithfully giving their support and time and resources that make all of this possible. If we can help you get connected to a local church, pray for you, or support you in any way, click the link in the description and let us know. If you'd like to financially support the ministry of River City, click the Give link on our website in the description. Don't forget to subscribe, and don't forget to share this with your friends. Thanks so much for listening. May the Lord bless and keep you in all grace and peace.